This is Chase Garbarino, co-founder and CEO of HQO, and this is the Let's Go Show. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the Let's Go Show. Appreciate the time. My pleasure. Tell our audience a little bit about your background and, you know, you started Visual Lease, I think you just told me in 1996. Is that correct? Yeah, 1996. Uh, it wasn't really the first thing I did. I, uh, I, uh, I, I, I went to law school, practiced law in New York City, and um, uh, found myself negotiating a lot of commercial leases for corporations, uh, mostly for corporations and doing uh, most on the tenant side. And um, one day I found myself uh, uh, in the middle of a negotiation out in New Jersey, uh, arguing over who pays for the operating costs, and what the right what the right shares are, and you know what are the conditions under which you pay for this, and what are the conditions under which you don't pay for that. And, you know, going back and those who have negotiated leases know just what I'm talking about. You can spend two days going through this stuff. Uh, and just coming up with all kinds of conditions under which the tenant will pay for certain things. The tenant, the tenant will pay for after-hours electric. Uh, after-hours are defined by the building as after 6 p.m., but maybe the tenant negotiates that to 8 p.m. Well, who's checking? And so the, the, the point is that after the lease is negotiated, it ends up in a drawer someplace. Like, nobody is looking at it. And, and if the bill comes in and, it's, you know, if you're getting billed for, for electric after 6 p.m. instead of 8 p.m., there's not a person in the organization that has a clue. And so what I did is I, I first realized that and I said, you know, these are not cheap agreements. These are not, you know, these are multi, multi every one of them is multi-million dollars, sometimes tens, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, they're very, very big contracts. How could people not be paying attention to them? And uh, with that, I, I, I actually started a, something that uh, all of the landlords that might be listening uh, would, would, would cringe when I tell you, when I say this, but I started something called lease auditing. And I went out and was representing major corporations looking at their leases to see if they were being billed properly. And they weren't. I mean, some of them were, many of them were. Most of the errors that we found were unintentional. It was very rare for us to identify something that was being done deliberately wrong. Matter of fact, we found a lot of things that were being done where the tenant was undercharged, mm. which we, which told us that this is just mistakes. And the problem that existed is that the leases, in fact, were in a drawer. Nobody was paying attention to them. Not the landlords, not the tenants. Nobody. They, they, you know, they're hundred page documents, two hundred page documents. Sometimes, who's looking at these things? So, I started that business, and we 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 started uh, uh, representing major companies. I think. First major client was AT and T, and a bunch of insurance companies and, and banks and people all over the country. And um, after doing that for about ten years, I saw that we were you know, we were saving our clients money, and we, we continue to do that now. But I said we're not fixing the problem. The problem is not you know we're we're putting a band aid. Yeah, we're we're recovering money that shouldn't have been charged and making things right. And to the extent we can make them right, I mean sometimes the the, the overcharges went back years and. It was just too stale to go back and get them. But, but I said, that's not fixing the problem. The problem is that nobody knows what their leases say. Mm. That's the problem. And, and you know, you have a $10, $15 million contract that nobody knows what it says is, 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 is you're just itching, for, you're itching for, for error. So I said, this can be solved very easily with technology. You need to have some way to make the leases visible, to make the, when a bill, think about what happens when, when a, uh, 
when an issue comes up on any lease, um, yeah, the roof is leaking. Now, most leases go on for years. I mean, if you drive down the highway, most of the buildings you look at where, where you see there's a name on the building, those tenants have been there for years and years, right? I mean, it's not like you know every three years you see a new name. The name stays. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that most leases are going on for many years. And so if you have a lease that's 10 or 15 years old, which is not uncommon, it's been through at least four, maybe 10 different amendments. Mm. You sign the lease day one. You have a couple of early on amendments, things as the tenant is moving in. And then you start living with it. And then you have another amendment. And then you have a letter agreement. And you have another amendment. And then you have another letter agreement. So by, after 10, 15 years, you got like all these documents that create the lease. All right? Put yourself in this situation. The roof is leaking. Who has to fix it? How do you know? Mm. You've got to go back and dig out the lease. And you'll start looking through, right? And you'll read, the lease says, oh, the landlord has to fix it. But you don't know if that's the final word. You've got to look through another 14 documents. Right. So you got to look through 14 documents to figure out what they say. And then at the end of the process, you can say, okay, the landlord has to fix it unless it's this or unless it's that, whatever the, whatever the terms of the lease say. And that is a, that's a very, very tedious and difficult process. And human nature being what it is, if the issue comes up, and I'll, I won't change it, I'll change it from a leaky roof to a bill that comes in for twenty, thirty thousand dollars, fifty thousand, whatever the number is. How do you know whether it's due? You gotta go through the same process. You gotta go back and check all the leases and check all the amendments and check all the it's just too much work. And so what people tend to do is they take the path of least resistance. Mm. And the path of least resistance is to say, it looks okay to me. Uh, what do I know? And you know, it looks okay. Uh, it looks the same as it looked last year. You know, meanwhile, last year the guy that was working on it didn't have time to check it. He just approved it. So, but you're looking at that what he did, and so it just becomes a, a snowball effect. And so this can be solved so easily. Let's get the leases. Let's make them visible. Let's bring them into a database where, when you set the leases up, you record what the lease says. You summarize it in a system. As you do amendments, you summarize the amendments and you build it in. So you have a living, breathing summary, electronic summary that shows you where you are at any given point in time with respect to any given topic in the list that you want. Mm-hmm. You can do 100 topics or you can do 10 topics, whatever it's important to you. But at least you have the documents there. You push a button, the document pops up on your screen right to the page where the, the issue is. So if you have an assignment sublet issue and today... With COVID, everyone's looking at their assignment sublet rights. Mm. Well, every time you look at, at the assignment sublet rights, you got to go through this process of looking through 15 documents. And it becomes like walking through molasses. It's very, very difficult. And so you've got to find a way to, to make this easier. And that's what, that's what Visual Lease was created for. Yeah. So, I mean, dating back to 1996, you guys must have some pretty interesting data and trends on kind of how the the industry has been evolving. What do you guys see from the years that you've been doing this? Obviously, there's a lot of talk of lease compression and companies needing to be more nimble. And are, are you guys actively seeing that? What do you guys see in the market? Where, I mean, look, COVID has upended everything. It really has. I mean, everybody is somewhere on the spectrum between fully remote and back in the office, right? But I would I would tell you that the 
where that balance was pre-pandemic was 90 in the office, 10 out of the office. Mm -hmm. Now I think it's probably 70% out of the office, 70, 75, and 25 in. Um, it's, it's been a... When COVID first hit, I was asked what my prediction was for the industry. And I, you know, we didn't know about Omicron and Delta or any of these things. We just, it was just the beginning. Mm -hmm. I said, but, but I know that we, in our own office, we went fully remote on March 13th of 2020, right? Almost two years now. And I said, this is going to result in an eight to 10% net reduction in demand over time. It'll start up start off bigger and and what it'll start off bigger um obviously everybody everybody's home, but nobody wants to give up their leases right i mean people have leases they have four years remaining three years remaining on their term they're not going to they're not going to terminate the leases early unless they're absolutely sure that they don't need to be there mm. and nobody's absolutely sure about anything that that's really the biggest issue nobody really knows um so the trends that we've been seeing is toward a lot of flexibility, shorter term, smaller footprints in the in the office environment, uh, relatively slightly smaller in the retail environment, and bigger in the industrial environment. Yep. And I mean, with regards to the experience you describe in terms of the complexity of lease documentation. Are you seeing any folks on the landlord side seeing this as an opportunity to kind of improve the customer experience of, I know in, in many other industries, the way that things are packaged and the terms and everything from start to finish in terms of how you buy is kind of meticulously crafted to create a great customer experience. Sure. You know, the co-working companies kind of do this, right? They make they make the purchase of space much, much simpler. It's like a what five to seven page lease. Are you seeing any of the any folks kind of on the supply side seeing opportunity here to to make the purchasing experience and the lease experience better? Well we're seeing a lot of consolidation, uh, a lot of pressure from the market on lease terms, uh, and I don't mean terms and conditions, I mean the length of the leases and the size of the leases, has caused uh, landlords to really have to dig deep and figure out what to, how to differentiate themselves in each of their markets. And uh, you certainly see a lot of creativity, uh, but you know, you're, it's, it's almost like you're fighting for more limited resources. You're, the, the demand is less. The demand has, has reduced. And so you'll have that creativity coming up and you'll have people trying to create experiences. And I, I don't I, I don't know that we are we are seeing it yet. I mean, if you ask me about my predictions, that's one thing. I don't know that we're seeing in our data from our leases. I mean, we do we do surveys. We've done we did a survey recently of four hundred uh, real estate executives, two hundred on the landlord side and two hundred on the tenant side. Yeah, you know, they're all very rosy. They're predicting uh, you know, big increases and in, increases in rents and increases in space demand. I, I, I'm I'm not sure, you know, and I'm not sure that 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 we are seeing it across all segments of uh, all segments of the of the industry. So you know, if we've if we've questioned 200 uh, landlords or 200 tenants, and we're and we're not differentiating between type of use, but we we all know you know we all know from just walking down the street in Manhattan, that you have a significant decrease in presence. So that if it's not manifesting itself today, it will over time. Here, here's the thing you got to realize. 
and we experienced the same thing ourselves. We sent everybody home, right? Everybody went home. We didn't pay more money. It didn't cost our company any more for people to work from home than it did to work from the office. So we're still paying rent. Everybody's still paying their rent. We're not using the space, but everyone's still paying their rent. And so in terms of impacting the bottom line, other than, other than impacts on productivity, and let's put that aside, that's soft. It's not costing anybody anything. Nobody cares. What'll happen is as leases start to turn, as they reach their expiration date, now we're going on two years, people will reevaluate. Do I really need 40,000 feet? Can we do the same thing with the number of people that are coming into the office with some flex space, uh, creating uh, creating uh, the, these flexible work environments? Maybe we can do the same thing in 15,000 feet that we were doing in 40,000 feet. And with that, you'll see creativity and you'll see great workspaces and you're trying to entice. Look, there is value to having people working in person together. Definite value. I don't know that the value is there, that it's necessary to be in the office every day of the week in order to get that value. And I think that's the reality that's setting it. So people are saying, well, I can do it with two out of five days a week. That's a 60% reduction in my need. So do you think that your original prediction of 8 to 10% is short? You think there will be a greater long-term reduction? I don't know. I would say, I'd, I'd say it's at least 10 and then, by the way, 10 is huge. Yeah, huge. 10 is absolutely huge. And what segment of kind of the, the supply side, you know, what, what landlords do you think are most at risk in terms of class A, class B? I think class B and C. Yeah, but the downtown CBD, like we're in Boston and you know, New York feels much more alive, but you go to San Francisco, some of these places that they were just cooking before before COVID, they just seem tremendously slow to come back. Yeah, it'll take time. It, it, it will take time. The balance that will happen is that people will start to realize that it's not quite the same working from your den. Yeah. Yeah, it's not quite the same working from your basement. Mm -hmm. it, it, you can get a lot done, but the balance that I suspect will happen is you'll work from home three days a week, maybe even four and touch base with everybody in person every so often so that you maintain the camaraderie and you maintain the, uh, the intimacy and, 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 uh, and you get that eye-to-eye -eye contact that you can't body language and all of the things that you need. You don't need it every day, but you need it enough to establish and maintain the relationships interpersonally throughout your organization. Mm -hmm. And so do you think this has created opportunities for, you know, the, in almost any downturn, there's kind of flight to quality. Yeah, for sure. I'm kind of surprised by some of the the folks on the landlord side that seem to have hope as a strategy. I hear from a lot of folks, they go back to the savings and loan. They talk about 9-11. They talk about the financial crisis saying like everything always comes back. What What do you say to them? This is different. This is different. This is, I, I say that those were one-off events. They were material events, you know, don't get me wrong. But this is different. This is a sea change to me. This is this, and, and it's enabled through technology because if you didn't have things like Zoom or all the other similar products, this would not, you would be, everybody would be itching to get back to work. But because we have those products available, it's not as necessary. And, and when those other things happened, you didn't have Zoom, 
if you had Zoom at that time, those markets would not have been uh, as responsive. Yep. And are you seeing uh, on the flight to quality side, who are, are you seeing this has to open up some leverage if you're on the buy side in terms of the tenant? Absolutely. In terms of it's been a, you know, the le- lease negotiation has not been the easiest thing for the buyer for many decades. So That's right. do you see this as the beginning of kind of the, the power balance shifting more to the buyer versus supply? Well, it's on the buyer side now for sure. Mm-hmm. As the supply adjusts, you'll reach a new level of equilibrium. You'll have new stasis. Right now, and this is the way the markets typically go, right now it's a buyer's market. And so landlords will differentiate themselves by providing, like you said, flight to quality, higher level, higher, higher level, better, more, more for your money, mm-hmm. better than the building next door. Here's why. And, t- and tenants, because they can now afford it, will select the higher quality product. And that's what's happening. You will also see typically B tenant, B level tenants going into A level buildings, which they could not afford before. So when you asked before, where do I see the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the net reduction? It's going to be more pronounced in the B and C product. Because the B and C product are going to sit, because the B and C tenant will move to the A and B product. And why do you think, you know, one of the strange things that kind of developed was the big tech companies ended up taking seemingly more space during the, during the pandemic. Why do you think that was? I think they, they really want to focus on, have wanted to focus on the, um, the value of the synergy that gets created by working together. And I think that they've really tried to push hard. It's been very tough for them. Uh, and you see certain organizations where they've, they've maintained it. And quite frankly, it, it, it's sometimes surprising to see an organization, everybody's in the office. Like, it, that's such an anomaly today. Um, you, you, and, and some of it has to do with um, less flexible attitudes from the C-suite. Not, you know, I like it the old way. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't go for this you know, working remotely. How do we know people are actually working? How do they know that they're being productive? I, like it's all that 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 nineteen fifties attitude that you you can see in some places. There is definitely a loss by working remotely all the time. But I think that some of it is is just antiquated uh, attitudes that are, are are permeating, and you'll have you'll have some holdouts that way. What you'll have though, and what we what we saw is that. So the workforce now has the ability of working anywhere. Uh, you, you live in Boston, but you can work for a company in Texas very easily without moving from that chair you're sitting in, right? And so having that flexibility really opens up the market. You know, a, a person that would earn $100,000 in New York and would earn $60,000 in Tulsa, that person will take the job for eighty. The New York company will be happy and the Tulsa person will be happy, right? They're both happy because they're both winning. Mm-hmm. And you'll see, you'll have a new level, you'll have a new equilibrium that'll happen. But as people are shifting around, if you have the, the attitude of no, you have to come in, people will leave and go to jobs where they don't have to come in. And we see a lot of employee migration. Remember also, think back. 
the number one reason people would move around the country is for their work. Yep. Right? Oh, I got a job in San Francisco. I'm, I'm taking my family and moving to San Francisco. I got a job in New York. I got a job in Boston. I got a job in Florida. They'd move because they got a job there. Well, now you don't have to move. So it changes everything. The whole dynamic is changing. And if you can get a job in Texas, that, that's the job, that your dream job, it's in Texas and you don't have to come in, there's your notice. You get the notice from the employee that they're leaving you and they're going to that job. It is a, it's a very different world than where we were two years ago. That is for sure. When you sent everybody home. I'm telling you, and this, you know, it got, it got, I think, I think everybody was absolutely amazed at how resilient everybody was. Mm. I mean, think about it. And I think everyone did what we did. I remember it was, it was March 13th. I went on a, uh, on a trip on March, uh, March 13th, it was a Friday. I had just come back from San Francisco that Sunday, right before. And it was like, should I go? Should I not go? I wasn't sure, you know, should I wear a mask? Nobody was wearing masks. Then I went through the airport and uh, SFO. Nobody had a mask on. It was like, all right, you know, like things are still okay. I went to this conference, small conference, and uh, I don't think anybody was wearing a mask. Some people were shaking hands. Some people were, it was like iffy. Four days later, the world shut down. The world shut down. On that Friday, the 13th, everybody shut down. Um, uh, so, and, but everybody was able to work. Monday morning, everybody fired up their laptops, sat in their bedroom, and went to work. And nobody skipped a beat. Pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, the year one and year two were definitely... Uh, you know, the, the world, the world did fine. I think there is, there's some trends starting to emerge now on kind of learning loss and loneliness and certain things where I think that you highlighted earlier on terms of the, the camaraderie and all that. So um, I think there's just going to be a need for much more digital tools and particularly as people are more nimble with their space. Um, you know, with things like visual lease, like you're going to need tools to more easily navigate space and it's going to be a much more dynamic category. You're going to start to see a lot more events. Mm-hmm. You'll have event planners are going to be very busy. Uh, you'll see a lot in the hotel industry will, will get stimulated finally yeah. right after, after, you know, starving for two years. Uh, you'll start to see a lot of activity in, in all those meeting spaces. Yeah. Well, Mark, we're at time here, so I appreciate this. Um, nothing more t- timely than these trends. So I uh, appreciate you coming on the Let's Go Show. My pleasure. Happy to jump on anytime you're interested in talking. For more information about how HQO can help you connect with your workforce and make smarter CapEx decisions and drive more NOI, visit us at hqo.com. This is Chase Garbarino. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go. Let's go.